Today's reading is taken from 1 Corinthians, starting at chapter 15, verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Well, good morning and thanks for joining us today. And thank you to Sade for such uh, an excellent reading. As always, and in fact, particularly this week, as you may have picked up, it's quite a tricky passage. You may wish to have a Bible to hand to follow along but if not, don't worry, I'll read out the most significant verses. This is now our fourth week thinking about the resurrection. But today's passage is a little different. It's answering a question that the sceptical culture of Paul's day, and particularly the culture around the Corinthian church, would have asked. And I think that's helpful for us, because it shows that the Bible writers weren't ignorant of the fact that the things they were writing could sometimes be difficult to understand and difficult to believe. The question they were asking is there in the first verse of our passage, verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Now this questioner isn't so much saying, oh Paul, that's really interesting what you're saying. Please tell me more about how the dead are raised, but rather, Paul, dead people can't rise. What a ridiculous idea. 
their bodies are in the ground decaying? And what if they'd lost a limb or lost an eye or lost their head? What body are they going to come back with? Now, this wouldn't have been the kind of question that Paul would have been asked in Jerusalem. Most Jews would have been familiar with passages like Isaiah 26 and Daniel 12 in the Old Testament, which speak of resurrection. But in the Greco-Roman culture of Corinth, their understanding was that the afterlife would be purely spiritual. And it seems that this kind of teaching had infected the Corinthian church as well. As we saw last week in verse 12 of chapter 15, Paul challenges them. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Now, interestingly, our culture has quite a similar assumption to that first century Greco-Roman culture. Whether it's something that people believe for themselves or something actually that many people think Christianity teaches, they think that when we die, we will float off into heaven to sit on clouds forever as angels with harps and eating Philadelphia. But as we've seen the last few weeks, that is not the Christian vision. Rather, the good news of Easter and Jesus's resurrection is that those who trust in Jesus will rise from death and receive new physical bodies, never to die again, and to live with Jesus in a renewed creation forever. But as we've been teaching that, you may in fact have had questions as we've gone along, or you may have already had questions. What exactly are we talking about when we say resurrection? Is this zombies? And what about people who've lost a limb? And what about people who've been cremated? Was that a bad decision? Or what about people who died centuries ago, whose bodies have completely decomposed, become fertilizer, and the atoms of their bodies may now be a part of our bodies? What happens to them and us at the resurrection? Isn't this all just a bit ridiculous? Well, Paul is obviously not aiming to give us a blow-by-blow -blow scientific account of how God will recompose atoms and construct new bodies. But he does help us using illustrations from creation to understand this. That your resurrection body will be new, but it will be you. Your resurrection body will be new, but it will be you. Let's take a closer look at Paul's answer. It comes in two main sections. The first part is verses 36 to 41, where Paul says this. When you're gardening, you don't plant a plant, you plant a seed. Read with me verse 37. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed. It's a fairly simple illustration. This, I'm told, uh, by my wife, is a basil plant. Now, if I want a new basil plant, I don't take this basil plant and bury the whole thing in the soil. I know enough about gardening to know that if I did so, it would quickly become compost. If I want a new basil plant, I take this Marks and Spencerized 
baby seed of a basil plant, plant it in this little pot, add soil, and then as that seed deconstructs, uh, decomposes, its internal programming takes hold and a new basil plant begins to grow. Now think with me, if all I had to look at was this seed, I'd have no idea what the final plant would look like. And Paul's point is this, if we think that the resurrection body is going to be just a, a reanimated version of the bodies that we currently have, then we are vastly underestimating what God is planning to do. And Paul then gives three quick twists to his illustration to take it further, emphasising God's control over his creation and his part in giving us new bodies. Firstly, God gives to each seed the body of the plant to which it belongs. Once a seed has been planted, it grows a new plant. But it's not random. If you plant a cherry stone, you'll get a cherry tree, not an apple tree. Verse 38, God gives to the seed that has been planted a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Apple pips grow apple trees, cherry stones grow cherry trees, and acorns grow oak trees. Next, Paul turns to the animal kingdom. God gives to each animal the flesh appropriate to its body. Verse 39, not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. Now, if you're anything like me, then your first thought on hearing or reading that verse may well have been, Paul, don't you know how much DNA is shared between humans and, for example, pigs? Now, if you're interested, I googled, um, and the answer is really complicated. But it's probably more helpful to think of this from the perspective of a chef than a scientist discounting human flesh for obvious reasons, think of the difference between chicken meat, pork meat, or a salmon fillet. All three are flesh, but the flesh is very different for each. And the flesh that animal has is adapted for its environment. And Paul's point is this, the bodies that we have are well adapted to our existence on this earth. But who knows what new and wonderful qualities our bodies will need to live in the new creation. In particular, to live in God's presence, worshipping him forever. How much our emotional capacities will need to expand to experience in full the joy of knowing God, living with him, loving him forever. Well, lastly, Paul goes big, looks heavenwards and says, God gives to each star, moon and planet the glory appropriate to its status. Paul says, think of the differences between the sun, the moon and the stars and the earth. The earth is beautiful and glorious. It has a splendour all of its own. The sun, moon and stars are also glorious. The sun at its rising and its setting creates some of the most beautiful sights that we can experience. But the moon is also splendid in its own way with its reflected glory. 
but again one that can be immensely beautiful. And there are few more awesome sights than the starry sky on a clear night, as long as you're not in London. Paul may well have had Daniel 12.3 in mind as he wrote these verses. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The glory that our resurrection bodies will have is beyond our current ability to imagine it. Bringing all three ideas together, Paul's point is this. There is continuity and discontinuity in our resurrection bodies. That is, there is a connectedness. Just as an acorn grows an oak tree, our new bodies will be us. Not a, a faceless automaton, not an avatar with no personality, not a vague spirit, not a drop in the vast consciousness, but a new you. Just as the apostles recognised the resurrected Jesus and Paul himself met the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus and was struck blind with his glory, which he described as like the shining of the sun, it was still recognisably Jesus in his resurrection glory that Paul met. There will be continuity. We will be us. But also discontinuity as the oak tree is more glorious than the acorn. So will our resurrection bodies be as much more glorious than these current bodies. And that's what Paul goes on to expand in the second half of the passage. These earthbound bodies tied to Adam will be replaced by heaven bound bodies tied to Jesus. Paul links to what he said before in verse 42. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. That is, our bodies now are like seeds compared to the glory of our resurrection bodies. And then he gives us this wonderful list of comparisons, continuing with his metaphor of a seed by speaking as if bodies are sown. The body that is sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. These bodies that die and are buried are mortal. We are born with a use-by date. These bodies were always going to fail and die, but they will be raised immortal. They will live forever. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. These bodies that are buried suffer the dishonour of sin and sickness and death, but they will be raised to glorious perfection. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. These bodies that are buried are weak and frail, vulnerable to in illness and injury. The body that is raised is strong and powerful. And then lastly, Paul says, it is sown a natural body. 
it is raised, a spiritual body. Now, this is where we could get confused because we tend to use the word, in fact, I used it earlier, um, to mean non-material. But that is not how Paul would have meant it here. Rather, he means existing on a different, uh, on a different plane, in a different realm. Again, Jesus is the most helpful example here. His resurrection body was this kind of spiritual body that Paul is speaking about. And he was able to do things that we can't, like appear in a locked room with his followers. But that is not because he was a, a floaty spirit. They also hugged him. They were able to touch the scars in his hands and the, the wound in his side. And he ate and drank with them. New, glorious, but recognisably him and physical not uh, spiritual in the sense of floaty. His body was physical and spiritual. So Paul means something more like this. The body that is buried belongs to the material realm of earth. The body that is raised belongs to God's realm, the realm of spirit. Which brings us to our last idea. These earthbound bodies tied to Adam will be replaced by heaven-bound bodies tied to Jesus. I've already talked a bit about Jesus's resurrection body, even though up until now it hadn't been mentioned in the passage. But Paul's understanding of the resurrection body would certainly have been informed by his personal encounters with the risen Lord Jesus. And here Paul makes that explicit, but only if you're familiar with some New Testament terminology. In several parts of the New Testament, we get this idea of Jesus as a new Adam. The first Adam, Genesis tells us, was made in the image of God. But due to Adam's weakness and sin and failure, that image was weakened and scarred. When Adam was tested in the garden, he failed. But Jesus... Adam take two, when Jesus was tested in the wilderness, he passed. Jesus is the last Adam, the successful Adam, the prototype Adam for a new race who will perfectly bear that image of God, who will never fail or falter or sin. Paul's focus is on the difference between the first Adam, who needed to have a life breathed into him, and the last Adam, who does not need to have life breathed into him, Jesus. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being when God breathed life into him. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The first man was of the dust of earth, the second man is of heaven. And as we come towards the end of the passage, there's something of a challenge in Paul's words. Read with me from verse 48. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. That is, in our natural state outside of Christ, we are as Adam, earthly, unspiritual, made of dust 
and destined to die. But if we belong to the man from heaven, Jesus, then when this first body passes away, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, then we will be like Jesus, heavenly, spiritual, with these glorious new bodies, destined to live forever. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we will bear the image of the heavenly man. But of course, if we don't belong to Jesus, if we don't belong to the man from heaven, then this glorious future, these wonderful new bodies, will not be ours. And if that's you today, if you're listening in but you don't belong to Jesus, you couldn't say that you know Jesus for yourself, then I'd love to encourage you, do whatever you can to get to know Jesus. Please come back week by week, keep listening in. You could join our Discipleship Explored group midweek to find out more. Read the Bible for yourself. Start with one of the Gospels. They're the best place to meet Jesus for the first time. And if you do have any questions, then please do get in touch with us. We'd love to help you answer them. But for those who do belong to Jesus, the man from heaven, isn't this amazing? Particularly at a time when we're coming face to face in coronavirus with our frailty, our weakness, our mortality. Imagine having a body which could never get sick. Imagine having a body that could never get cancer. Imagine having a body with no aches and pains. Imagine having a body that could never get tired. Isn't that amazing? That will be the new you, the perfect you, better than any diet, better than any exercise routine, better than any plastic surgery could ever make you. Imagine everything you wish you could be, skills, talents, physical attributes, sheer goodness of character, the person that you long to be. We will be in our resurrection bodies as much more glorious than the most perfect person on earth now as an oak tree is more glorious than an acorn. And most wonderfully, we will be freed from sin. Imagine never again sinning. Never again having to regret something you've said, regret something you've done, regret something that you've thought. How wonderfully different from our existence in these bodies. How wonderfully different and yet still recognisably us. You may have seen this little video that's going around at the moment, when this is all over. How wonderful it will be to be able to hug one another again, to hold one another, to reassure one another. In heaven, when Jesus returns, the resurrection body you have will be new, but it will be you. We will see one another again. Those of us who die in Christ will be able to see 
and smile at one another, to hug one another, to know one another, to celebrate together in God's presence forever. Well, as we close, those words again from Daniel 12. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to shame and everlasting contempt. But those who are wise, who put their trust in Jesus, will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Father God, thank you for a promise which could not be more wonderful right now. And we pray that you would fix our eyes on this, fix our hope on this, that our trust today and every day would be in the Lord Jesus Christ.